Rolling out a new policy across your organization? Today we share our best practices for policy rollout. Hello, thank you for joining us. This is What Counts, a podcast created by Trailblazer Consulting. Here we highlight proven solutions developed through our experience working with companies across various industries, and we talk about how you can apply these solutions to your company. We share our experience solving information management challenges like creating and implementing a records retention schedule, creating an asset data hierarchy, or helping with email management. This is Lee, and in this episode, Moore and I will share our experience rolling out new information governance policies across various organizations. Mora, we have a lot of experience in this area. Do you want to jump in right away? I do. Thanks, Lee. So we have spent a lot of time throughout this podcast, various episodes, talking about behavior and how information management has a lot to do with how employees interact with information. How do they create it? How do they store it? How do they share it? How do they find it? All of that. So your policies that we've also talked about in separate episodes, how to create good policies, your policies are really laying out what you expect of your employees from a behavior perspective. So kind of the same way that you have an employee conduct manual or business conduct manual, business ethics manual, your company is telling your employees, this is how we want you to behave when you're carrying out your business. The information governance policies take that down to a a more detailed level and say, this is how we want you to manage the information that you create and use to carry out our business. So the approach for rolling out most information governance policies is very similar to HR policies or technical policies and standards, quality standards, depending on your different industries. And it comes down to change management. It's about communication and training. And you know, we spent, we have several episodes on the whole change management space and communications and and training. And those lessons are very applicable to the world of policy. So the key is tell people what you want them to do. Tell them why you want them to do it. And we're going to, and I want to talk a little bit more about that because it's the why is very specific to your company, your culture, as well as your industry. Tell them how you want them to do it. And finally, give them a voice to let you know if this policy is working, if it's working as you intended if it's not working, if there's issues that are interfering with how they're carrying out business so that you can make your policies better over time. I think that sounds good, Maura. I was just going to say, does it does it matter where the policy comes from, what, or, what part of your organization a policy comes from in your organization? Well, that's an interesting question. And I think that it can matter. Um, And it very much comes down to your company's culture. So who in your company, what part of the organization sets those rules? Does every group set their own? So you have HR is setting out policies, legal is sending out different policies, maybe the engineering group or um, a quality uh, regulatory compliance group is sending out policies. Or do you have each geographic area sending out, well, these are the policies for the West, but these are the policies for the South. 
so thinking about kind of where are you going to get the most consistent uh, attention to your policies? Where are you going to be able to enforce your policies? Because the worst thing you can do is put a policy out that you don't expect people to follow, that you're just putting it out there and saying, hey, it's a great idea, you should do it. And you've reported these policies to some regulator, some oversight authority, or you're going to submit them as a defense in a litigation or um, or some other or an audit. But you have no way of knowing if people are actually following them. So think about your organization. Think about where those rules come from generally. And think about how do people follow them? Do they Do they read them? If you send an email announcing, here's a new policy and here's where you go find it on our intranet site, or here's a new policy and it's attached. If you just send that out, do you expect people to read it? Is that typical behavior in your organization? Or does it work better if you send it out through your learning management system and you make people read it and sign off that they read it? And maybe you have them reaffirm every year not just as they're a new hire coming on board or as a new policy is coming out, but actually have them reaffirm every year. Yes, I have read and I understand and I agree to follow our ethics and compliance policies. At the same time, I have read and I understand and I agree to follow our information governance policies. And that's going to really vary by the industry you're in and what are the consequences to your organization if as a rule, people do or don't follow these rules. And what's the culture? Are people kind of, you know, out on their own? It's I'll go, 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 get the deal done and don't worry about those things. Or do you have a culture of compliance and understanding and people really wanting to not only do the right thing, but find the right thing to do, which means seek out the policies. Does that answer your question, Lee? Absolutely. Uh, I thought you did a good job. I appreciate that tremendously. The other one other thing that you mentioned was the voice, giving people a voice. So you said the policy, you want to give the what, the why, the how, and then you want to give people voice, meaning feedback. And how many organizations actually do that? I think that's a unique piece. That's a great point. So we always recommend that. And we have seen some organizations do a great job on the information governance side, not speaking about bigger policies, but on the information governance side, where you, for instance, roll out a new retention schedule and you've done your work, you've validated it, you've talked to people across the company, you know that you, you've, done, you've done everything you can to get this retention schedule right in its first version, first publication, you think you've covered all the record types, you've got all the operational needs and you've done all your due diligence and research on the regulatory and legal needs. And you put it out there and then you wanna know, is it working? Are people following it? And you start, and so what we've seen work really well is if you have an email address for your records management program and you encourage people to send questions in or comments in, or we've also seen people with a web page or a tool. There are some, some tools that um, are really great at both creating and holding your retention schedule and capturing all your record categories and the citations that support your decisions. 
and also have an, a user side of it where your end users can search for things and they can send in questions and comments and say, hey, you're, you've got a retention on this category for 15 years, but we really think we need it longer. Or, hey, you've combined time and attendance with payroll and we don't keep our time and attendance separately. Or, you know, time and attendance is kept in this way and payroll is kept in this way. Do we need two separate categories? Payroll may have an extended retention period because being able to prove that you paid people appropriately can come into play in an unclaimed property audit or an achievement audit. The time and attendance sheets that have personally identifiable information related to where people were and what they were doing at any given day, do you need to keep those for the same amount of time as you do the payroll and payment proof records? Might be a good reason to split those out. So you, the people who are working with the records every day or in your business across the different business functions, they know more about the impact of these policy decisions. And so setting up an email address is a pretty minimal way to do it. At least you've got it out there and they can they can ask a question. Or if you have a, an information governance page on your intranet, you know, on your intranet or a records management page on your intranet, you can give them a contact us or send a comment kind of option. Or you can have one of these more sophisticated records retention schedule tools that actually allow direct commenting and feedback on individual categories. Any one of those things I think is a great idea. And it's kind of a passive thing. You can, you can set it up and then people can just start responding. You can take another more active step and we've talked about RIM champions, records and information management champions, or liaisons or coordinators out in the business. And you can proactively meet with those people, reach out to them once a quarter or once a year and say, how's this going? You know, we've rolled out these new policies. Do your people in your team have questions? Have you got feedback for us? And actually take that next proactive step to say, is it working? So the last thing I want to talk about today is compliance monitoring. Used to be called audit, but but from your perspective as the information governance owner, leader in your organization, and for us when we're working with that information governance person in any of our client organizations, we don't want to be the records police. That's not the dynamic you want with the organization. You're here to really help to make information more accessible, more usable, and to increase compliance and consistency in terms of how you manage, name, organize, can search for, and then eventually disposition your records. So those compliance monitoring activities could include things like an annual survey asking people, did you disposition any records this year? It could be a, a back end, you know, look at your file structure. Are people filing things appropriately? You can do a lot of reporting on the back end of your files shares or SharePoint online sites and understand are people putting things where you want them to. You can think about the, um, you can do a, a search across multiple repositories looking for duplicates. And if you find a lot of duplicates, well, that means people aren't trusting the central locations and you need to start with the training again to remind them of this is why you're doing it. And then finally, those focus groups are talking to your records champions or coordinators and asking the questions. 
Again, also returning to your stakeholder group that you've identified from the very beginning of this information governance journey and asking them, is this working? Do you think it's working? Are you seeing evidence of it? Are you worried about things? Are you actively supporting it um, and keeping that going along? I think even from a monitoring perspective, the feedback loop is important as well. It adds to your statistics, the fact that somebody's actually looking at the policies and taking the time to understand them and give feedback on that policy. I agree. And I think that's a good place to stop for today in terms of this sort of change management communications and training perspective on policy rollout. But what we didn't talk about today is, are there other things that you have to do to make policies actually work? And so next time I wanna talk about how do you implement a new records retention schedule and all that means. And along with that, can you implement a new information classification policy at the same time? Because they go hand in hand. Excellent. So stay tuned. If you have any questions, please send us an email at info at trailblazer.us.com or look us up on the web at www.trailblazer.us.com. Thank you for listening and please tune in to our next episode. Also, if you like this episode, please be a champion and share it with people in your social media network. As always, we appreciate you, the listeners. Special thanks goes to Jason Blake, who created our intro music. Thanks, everyone.